Hello, health investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Khadija Amin and Paula Wheeler, two out of the four founders of Black Health. Black Health is an Atlanta-based nonprofit that aims to critically engage and challenge racism and its impact on health. They provide workshops, trainings, community events, and they also create digital media that addresses the pathways through which systemic racism leads to poorer health outcomes for Black people. Khadija and Paula are graduates of Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health. They work on all things Black health, in addition to working full-time for various public health organizations that focus on HIV-AIDS, global health, and health system strengthening. In the episode, Khadija and Paula share common misconceptions about Black health, some root causes of poor health outcomes in Black communities, things that are happening in our country right now that bring them hope, and more. Do me a favor. While you're listening, take a selfie, post it to social media, tag me at The Health Investment, and let me know your takeaways. I love seeing you in action and learning your favorite parts of each episode. All right, it's time for me to stop talking so that you can hear from Khadija and Paula. Enjoy! Hi, I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and host of the Health Investment Podcast. Here's the thing, you deserve to feel amazing. But here's the other thing, there are so many confusing messages out there. Week after week, I'm gonna share tips and practices that actually work for simple weight loss and sustainable wellness, because I wanna help you get healthy for good without any BS. When I'm not podcasting, I work with clients one-on-one, So visit the show notes to book your free consultation. And don't forget to leave a review so that others can become trim, energized, confident, BS-busting rock stars like you. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Paula and Khadija. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I learned about your business several months ago, I think, and started following on Instagram and have just really loved following along and learning about what you do. So I'm excited for my listeners to learn from you today. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, really excited. So can you both share specifically your impetus for starting Black Health and then also maybe individually kind of each of your stories or backgrounds and what led you to where you are today? Sure. Um, So we started Black Health when we were in grad school, well, kind of like right after we graduated, but uh, the seeds were definitely planted when we were in school. Um, There are four uh, founders of Black Health. It's myself, uh, Khadija, Matthew, and Mercy. And so we were all members of the Association of Black Public Health Students at Rollins, uh, Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health. Um, And we just like, while we were in school, we, we were just learning about race uh, and health. And we didn't feel like we got like the focus on racism as uh, a root cause for poor health outcomes in black people. So oftentimes when we'd be presented like uh, graphs, charts, different information about um, risk factors for certain diseases, usually race was presented as a risk factor. So what I mean is that they would say, you know, being black means you have a higher risk of this, this disease or something. 
Um, and so we felt like our education just did not go deep enough into why being black <laughs> makes someone a higher risk for something. Um, and the answer to that is, is anti-black racism. Um, and so we just felt like we weren't really given uh, very concrete and clear tools on how to attack that as public health professionals. Um, and so just in our, in our friend group and in us working together with, um, within the Association of Black Public Health Students, we were trying to do a lot of that work ourselves. And then when we graduated, um, we started Black Health uh, to continue that work. Um, and also while we were in school um, under ABPHS, we made these shirts that said Black Health Matters. Um, and so with us wearing those shirts, we also noticed that like a lot of people wanted to talk to us um, about what the shirts meant. Um, and obviously we were really inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. And so with the shirt saying Black Health Matters, it was speaking to Black Lives Matter, um, but within our specific field as health professionals um, and thinking about what does Black Lives Matter mean within public health? Like as public health professionals, what is our responsibility um, to that call of action? Um, and so with people coming up to us and asking us like, oh, I love that shirt. Um, you know, just wanting to like, it, people would just like sometimes vent to me, like other black people would want to vent about different experiences that they had with um, the healthcare system um, when they would see me wearing the shirt. And so um, we just felt like, okay, there's a need for this. Um, there's a gap that we're f filling, um, that we have the potential to fill. And, um, and people are obviously very excited about this idea of black health matters. Um, and so that's also what really uh, was our impetus for starting Black Health as well. So it was like the lack um, of discussions around racism in our formal education. And then with us kind of venturing in that and then people being very, very excited <laughs> about it, that we were those two things together. We were like, OK, I think we have something golden here. Yeah, no, Paula, that was a great um, uh, intro to Black Health and how we got started. Um, I know for myself, my background's in anthropology, and so um, similarly to public health, I learned a lot about culture and identity and society and how those impacted health. And um, I think, so like our colleague Matthew, he is back in political science, Mercy, hers is in pharmacy. Like, I think we all have a nice mix mm -hmm. um, coming into um, being public health professionals and working with black health and um, in all those spaces. Again, like Paula said, we learned that black people have worse health outcomes across the board, um, but not so much why that was, or like why that was the case and what could be done about it. And so, I think we all bring those um, unique backgrounds to Black Health. And just starting Black Health, we really wanted to get into the why and the how to address disparities. Yeah, I think for all of us, we just felt like the, the institutions weren't doing enough. And so we wanted to see what we could do um, individually and together. And yeah, for me, like my work now is in global health. Um, and so I always feel like there's just this complete disconnect between domestic um, public health initiatives and what's going on globally when 
like the two things, like they work in silos a lot of times um, when they're very, very interconnected because, um, you know, like anti-Black racism is global. And so a lot of the same forces that are working in the global health world, particularly um, what they call like the global South, which is um, Africa and Asia, Southeast Asia. Um, so in those places, like, the same things that are causing the people there to kind of on a global scale have the worst health outcomes are the same things that are affecting um, Black Americans here. And I mean, within Black Americans, like you see um, very similar rates of a lot of um, diseases that are, you know, preventable or highly treatable. So things like HIV AIDS um, and maternal mortality and infant mortality rates. Some of those rates um, in Black American communities are on par with levels um, in certain places in Africa. And so, you know, as, like I think, you know, when we're talking about places in Africa and thinking, you know, that there's an issue there, you know, healthcare is so bad there. Um, and then we look, you know, in our own backyard and see like, we're not being treated any better here. We're not getting really any better service here. It's like, we are interconnected in this struggle. Um, and so that's always been a very important like perspective to bring to the work for me. Um, and, and I think generally in all of our movements, um, our black lives matter movement and, um, this whole, you know, the, what the time that we're in right now, I think that there's been increasingly uh, more conversations about, how black and brown people across the world are really united and need to you know, band together in certain ways to make progress. Hmm, right. You said that when you were wearing the shirts, I've seen those, they're really, you know, they really stand out, they're cool. So I can see how people would approach you. And then you said they kind of vented to you about different issues you were ha they were having. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most common things that people come to you with? Some of the, you know, the reasons that black people are experiencing poor health outcomes? I think there are there are a lot of reasons and the things that people vent about are things that they, you know, can right. really themselves identify. I think that that's part of what we're doing is also trying to educate um, the black community and everyone else about the role of these larger forces of like systemic racism. Um, however, when people when people are, come up to me and want to talk about it, usually the things that they say are. Um, about how poorly they were treated by medical professionals. Um, and so that's something, that's the kind of like interpersonal racism that I think a lot of black people, um, like since the time we're children, were able to identify. We kind of can tell when someone is being mean to us because of our skin color um, or, you know, treating us poorly or just disregarding us generally. Um, and so, I, you know, I've had people come up to me and just say, you know, I was uh, in the hospital, I was you know, I had some issue and the doctor just didn't listen to me. I had to keep uh, begging them for their attention. I, they were talking really fast. They were um, using like complicated language and then they just rushed me out of their office. Um, things like that. And then, or people just saying that they had to like really, really, really um, <laughs> like get the doctor's attention, tell them over and over they were having a problem, a serious problem, being, you know, near death or something like that. Um, for them to be taken seriously and to get the treatment that uh, they needed. Um, so those are like the common things that people say. And that's a huge, huge issue, um, the way the uh, medical doctors um, and other healthcare staff treat Black people because um, that 
that internal bias and all that, that's very real. Um, and so we definitely, we always honor that and we do talk about that a lot. Um, but the other side of that is that there's just larger factors too. These things that happen before you even step your foot into the healthcare uh, facility, there are a bunch of other structural factors that have made it so that black people have worse health outcomes. So that's also really the message that we are trying to push and spread awareness about too. Yeah. Right. And we, I think we do a good job in terms of, like Paula said, um, digging into those macro level social determinants of health. Um, when we do our community health events and we talk to community members and health professionals um, about how housing insecurity and food insecurity and transportation barriers and poverty um, disproportionately impact Black people and how those social determinants impact our health. And then also at our events, um, we definitely talk about like the stuff beneath interpersonal, so like internalized racism um, and just anti-Blackness within our own community and how those pressures from to the societal level the um, policies and then at the institutional level impacts our views of ourselves and impacts our mental health, impacts our health behaviors, impacts how we interact with each other as Black people. And so I think that's some of my favorite conversation when we really dig into um, just within the Black community, how all those factors of racism working together um, impacts how we view ourselves and um, I think we get into really good conversations. We get into good conversations around different forms of intersecting oppression within the Black community and what that looks like. So when you think about reproductive justice and health of um, queer and trans folks, that are black and disabled folks that are black, um, uh, really dissecting that um, internalized racism and anti-black racism within our community um, has been really interesting when we get to have those conversations. You both kind of touched on some of the more macro issues. So housing insecurity, food insecurity, poverty you mentioned. I'd love it if you could go a little bit deeper into I know there are so many factors, but maybe each of the ones that you find that you talk about in your health events, you were saying, um, kind of like the more pressing issues, if you will. Yeah, I can start and then Polly can jump in. <laughs> um, so I think poverty and the economic injustices is something that we definitely get into a lot during our events. And COVID has obviously... Um, worsens um, the economic disparities and equities that Black people face. And I think we're seeing with COVID, um, and we definitely talk about this during our events, um, how um, socioeconomic status and just the economic injustices that Black people have faced over the past few centuries directly impacts um, our built environments and our lived conditions and our opportunities for resources and our opportunities for um, quality, accessible, affordable um, 
social determinants across um, like food and housing and transportation. So I feel like that economic piece is um, one of the central underlying factors that um, we really try to delve into. And at least like, I know for me, I'm trying to grow just like my um, critique of capitalism <laughs> was mm-hmm. and just understanding um, just how, again, um, our economic structures were really built um, off of the labor of black people, but black people have not over the past 400 years been able to um, reap those fruits of that labor. And so um, I think that's one of the major determinants that we um, really emphasize in our work. Yeah, definitely. Um, And yeah, could you, you just start to touch on this, but just like how so much of our country is built off the legacy of slavery and our world is built off the legacy of colonialism. Um, and so like those pathways are still working now. <laughs> like we're still in a lot of those same positions. Um, and so just with the way in which black people are often you know, we're disproportionately poor and in working class positions. And you see that being a big deal in now with the coronavirus that disproportionately in positions where people cannot um, stay at home and work and cannot um, really effectively socially distance. Um, so that's kind of an example of just like structural, you know, structural factors that are at play that are making black people uh, more at risk for contracting coronavirus. Uh, there's another aspect to this too, with the just the entire environment of racism in this country and um, the different, you know, the stress that it puts on on black people. So throughout time, like right now, black people are extremely stressed out because of the protests, and the protests are happening because of police brutality. And so I can say personally police brutality has been a major stress factor for me for the last, since I was, you know, really old enough to understand it, but at least for the last five years with Ferguson in 2015. Um, So, and just the killings of Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, like all of that, like really is what, you know, rolls all of this to the, uh, to public consciousness. And then the same within myself is that it just has been very stressful for me. Um, And so, there are studies that have been done showing that all of that stress, um, you know, really has wear and tear on the body itself. So oftentimes black people physically are, are just more likely to have certain health conditions, particularly like heart disease. Um, also that this has an effect in uh, poor maternal health outcomes, um, just high levels of stress. And, that stress is related, um, a big part of it is just comes from the racism that we experience on a daily basis and the stress from poverty as well. It's very stressful to not, you know, know if you can support your family um, or your children or yourself. Um, So you're dealing with a lot of different things. You're stressed about work, stressed about not, you know, maybe having proper transportation to get to work or to get to doctor's appointments and other things that you need to do, making hard decisions and having to do that day in and day out Um, When you look at that in the aggregate across um, a group of people, like you see that generally black people are, um, you know, really dealing with the impacts of that, like within their um, within their bodies. 
Another, um, another issue that Black Health has really tackled um, has been um, like food deserts and food insecurity. So um, we did an event um, on, um, on just like the impact of food deserts in Southwest Atlanta. Um, we've also done a photo series that was showing um, the different, um, the lived environment around Atlanta in certain neighborhoods in Atlanta. So we went to predominantly uh, wealthy and predominantly white neighborhoods and took uh, pictures of just what it looked like. Um, and you can see that there's a lot more um, grocery stores with fresh whole foods um, in those neighborhoods. And then when you go to other parts in Atlanta um, that are predominantly black, predominantly low income, I mean, there's just, there's very little like fresh food to be found. Um, and so the policies that have been put in place and structures that have been put in place that encourage um, grocery store chains to open in some places and not others, like those are examples of that structural racism um, that black people are facing. And I mean, obviously if you can't have access to healthy food, you, you don't eat healthy um, reg on the regular. I mean, that's just not, it's not feasible for most people if the uh, healthy food is not um, attainable or somewhere convenient for them. And then that's gonna affect your health in all of these different ways. So when we look at obesity rates and we look at um, heart disease and maternal mortality again, um, you know, all of that is, is very interconnected with um, access to fresh and healthy food. Right. What would you say, um, you know, maybe you've kind of already tackled some of them, but what are some of the biggest misconceptions floating around out there when it comes to Black health or just Black communities in general or COVID? I mean, anything you want to touch on, just things, I'm sure you're seeing it on social media or on the news, just any kind of present day misconceptions. I'm sure there's thousands, but <laughs> the ones that are just really irking you at this moment. I have one. This is just a evergreen issue. And like one of the main things that at Black Health we try to debunk, and we have to debunk this even with other Black people, <laughs> is that Black people are not individually at fault for poor health outcomes. Um, and so even like as COVID um, was growing in community spread, and we were seeing through some early data that black people were more likely to get COVID and die from COVID. I just saw so many horrible takes about um, oh, black people aren't, um, like are intentionally not social distancing as much, or black people are just overall less healthy, like our bodies are just, um, lesser than and like that in itself is a racist idea that black people um biologically innately are um sicker and our bodies are weaker and we're more susceptible to disease and death and i think that's why we um are so uh passionate <laughs> Mm -hmm. about calling out racism and how it impacts black health because i think looking through the lens of racism and we use um, critical race theory a lot um you're able to really debunk that myth that it's black people's fault or there's a biological reason why black people are more likely to have worse health outcomes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no that's definitely the big one um, 
that, yeah, just this idea, you know, race versus racism, like I had mentioned before. And the issue, you know, like Khadija was saying, like when you, when you focus on race alone, then it becomes what are black people doing that is causing, um, causing their poor health outcomes. So yeah, with coronavirus, they're not social distancing enough, um, but you can see these similar kind of ideas around like other diseases. So like I work in HIV and AIDS and um, you know, it's a, it's a common, common misconception that black people are more um, sexually like promiscuous than other groups. And that's a big driver of um, higher HIV and AIDS rates within our community. And that's just not true, actually. Like um, the studies show that black people generally have the same or safer um, sexual behavior. So as far as when it comes to condom use and um, things like that. So it's not because there's some kind of like uh, individual or cultural like reason or faults that um, that we are, you know, facing these these um, poor health outcomes. It's it's really, you know, lack of access to to good health care, good health information um, and just, you know, healthy foods um, and just healthy environments. So all these different aspects, these system, these system uh, aspects that are really affecting us. Um, yeah. And another, <laughs> another big misconception that has been like really irking me, I guess it's not, it's not um, um, like out there anymore, but like when COVID was first spreading and people were saying like black people couldn't get it, <laughs> like mm-hmm. those things, like the way, <laughs> the way that that was like spreading so quickly through the community and from people. So just this like, just health literacy, I think is very important. Um, that, and, and it's like, like health information needs to be presented in a way that is from people that black people trust. And so the, the mistrust between black, so like black people and, um, healthcare institutions and the messaging that comes out of that, um, is, is really, it's super, it's at an all time high, I think. And so I think like, that is on the responsibility of a lot of these institutions is to tackle that problem. Um, because it's not, it's not for no reason that um, the black community feels that way, like feels like that they cannot get good information from white people, mainly these mostly white run and white led institutions. Um, they can't, they feel like they can't get information that uh, will keep them safe and healthy and their families safe and healthy. They don't trust it. Um, and so if you want people to change their behaviors, if you want them to wear a mask and do all these other things that we're all trying to do together to protect one another, it's, it's very important that those issues that, that legacy of, um, mistrust and abuse really is addressed. And then as new health information becomes available, it needs to be presented in ways that are accessible, culturally relevant, um, all of that, you know, to the black community. Um, and so that's kind of where we are stepping in as well. Like that's important for us is to be familiar faces to people um, and give good information based in science, but in a way that makes sense for our community and is coming from people that hopefully that they can trust. I was going to ask, what are some of the projects um, that Black Health has taken on that you're most excited about right now? Yeah, um, to piggyback off of Paula was saying, 
Um, I'm really excited for our digital health content that we're growing, um, in part because of COVID <laughs> and we can't do our community health events in person anymore. But I think in light of COVID, we really want to address that um, mistrust piece that Black folks have with health systems. And I think that we really sit in a sweet spot of um, having public health knowledge, um, but also being very intentional about being accessible and breaking down those barriers to um, access and those trust barriers that Black folks have. And so um, I'm really excited, just like as we grow our digital health portfolio, I'm really being able to reach Black folks that we may not have been um, just being mostly in Atlanta um, or just like regional. So um, I'm super excited for that. Yeah, reaching a wider audience. And yeah, so we have videos that we're planning, um, planning a video series um, about different health topics uh, to just to educate people about things, particularly with coronavirus. Um, we want to talk about uh, medical research, uh, vaccines, um, some kind of hot button issues, but things that we realize that like we feel a lot of people don't have like really good knowledge about. And so without proper knowledge, like you can't make good decisions. So that's one thing. Um, we're also really doing a lot more workshops um, and solidifying internally just our structure for how we will do workshops and present um, information within that. So we're like kind of packaging up a couple courses that we want to deliver. Um, so that's just super exciting for us is to be able to have like a package that's ready to go so we can work with different entities um, on critical race theory and applying critical race theory to public health work. Um, and then also um, we have another one that we're working on that's about uh, mental health and children. Real quick, I wanna take a break from the episode to share one of my favorite resources with you. One of the BS messages floating around out there is that eating healthy costs too much. Honestly, I used to believe this myself. That is, until I discovered ThriveMarket.com. Thrive Market is an online grocery platform that's essentially Costco meets Trader Joe's meets Whole Foods. I love that I can shop on their mobile app and have all of my favorite groceries, everything from natural wine to 100% grass-fed beef to nutritious crackers, everything, delivered right to my door. Last year, I saved over $1,000 shopping on Thrive. I honestly can't think of one reason not to love it. To save a percentage off your first order and see my full shopping list, click through the links in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Wow. So, I mean, you have a lot going on. Do you all work on Black Health full-time? Or I know you had mentioned that you also are doing HIV AIDS work. So, are you all kind of doing this as well as other things or is this your main focus? We do other, we work, we all work um, full time outside of black health. <laughs> yeah. Oh because we really just started black health, like kind of like a labor of love. So we weren't really yeah. making money from it in the sense that we could, you know, support for people living in Atlanta <laughs> off of it. Um, so yeah, we all work and, and it's actually been really great um, to do it that way because um, it's, 
Black Health is a public health organization. We all work in public health. So we're able to get a lot of skills from our job that we can translate um, to further the work of Black health and, and for our own personal expertise to be able to talk about these subjects um, and vice versa, actually maybe even more. Because for me, a lot of the things that I do with Black health, um, I'm when I'm at work, I'm able to be like, oh yeah, I've done that. I've, I've built a curriculum or <laughs> I've done a podcast. Um, I've put together infographics. Um, and a lot of that experience comes from the stuff that I've done with Black health. And so it's really helped me um, in my more like traditional career route as well. But I think um, for us, like our, our goal is definitely be, to be able to focus on Black health full time. So we are still building to get to that point. Khadija, what's your job outside of Black health? Yeah, so in a couple of weeks, I'm actually starting a PhD program here in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Um, so I'll be focusing my research on racism and Black health and specifically um, looking at um, the impact of intersectional forms of oppression, um, like gender, gender identity, um, on inequities and as community-driven solutions to address those inequities. So um, our work with Black Health has like directly, um, uh, will be directly related to my research and was really a driver for me wanting to pursue a doctoral degree in this space. And um, I echo Paula that I think our work with Black Health over the past few years has really been able to inform both our um, other professional ventures and our community work and definitely just the direction that we want to take our careers. I'm curious, is there any recent policy or at least semi-recent within the last year or two of domestic policy or Paula, you mentioned global policy as well, anything that gives you hope in, you know, the current climate that seems not so hopeful a lot of the time? Is there anything really good happening or do you feel like the country is still missing the mark in a lot of ways? Yeah, so... And this is less of a policy, but I think something that does give me hope is the mobilization of different oppressed groups across different justice movements um, to work for just towards human rights. And so um, Paula mentioned earlier, like just how police brutality in the prison industrial complex relates directly to black health. Um, environmental injustices relate to Black health. Um, immigration rights relate to Black health. So um, something that's really critical for um, us to reach a place where Black people um, have the opportunity to live to our full capacity is um, uh, that movement work across different um efforts, the reproductive justice movement is something I have been particularly interested in recently. So um, I think that mobilization excites, that's like one of the few things mm -hmm. <laughs> that gives me some hope. And yeah, like, 
so there's no policies that I can think of that are like currently being enacted. Um, I'm sure if I looked more into it, I could find things that were uh, positive, you know, going in the right direction. But I think for me, what's getting me really excited are um, conversations around uh, Medicare for all, um, you know, universal health care. Um, that would be amazing. And then also re reparations uh, for Black Americans. Um, those two things, I think, would really... And just, like, what reparations should look like. Um, you know, the different... Like, Ta-Nehisi Coates has, has wrote, written about it and just other people, like, the conversations that are happening around that, I think, are really exciting. And, and, and just the idea that more of us are starting to um, push for that as something that's realistic. Um, I think that there's always kind of been a thing of like, oh, we'll never get reparations. But I think uh, I think we can get reparations if we keep if we keep talking about it. Um, and reparations can look like a lot of different things. Um, that package could look like a lot of different things. And so I want one of those things to include, uh, you know, things about health and healthcare. Um, Oh, and also related to um, the um, movement against like police brutality and police violence, um, the uh, the recent like uh, push for policies around um, like abolishing the police, uh, defunding the police, um, you know, included in that um, that movement has been uh, things about healthcare and free healthcare for all, um, and so and and just more services, more holistic services for people who need them. So I just think the fact that people are thinking so big and broad, that's making me excited because that's what we're going to need is not just little tiny changes at a time. Like it has to be big, big changes. What do you mean when you said holistic services? What does that look like? More holistic services. So like mental health care, uh, housing. Um, so yeah, these systemic issues that we talked about earlier, like food insecurity, um, you know, lack of housing, all of those. So services that give people those things that they need instead of criminalizing them and punishing them immediately. So um, people have been talking about, you know, what would it be like if you could call 911 and tell someone, you know, there's someone here is having a... Um, you know, a, a mental uh, crisis and someone who is specialized in mental crises can come out and respond to that versus someone who is not specialized in that and then is also, you know, carrying a gun, um, you know, things like that. So um, just a system where we can address people's, you know, like root issues more and instead of just, you know, locking them up or beating them up or whatever it be. So... Yeah, and a, another key piece of abolition that directly relates to black health is um, the call for the disinvestment of funds towards the police state and reinvestment into community health and social support. And so I think um, just living in a society with finite resources um, reimagining how we could reallocate um, existing resources that are going directly towards violence and moving those to um, uh, resources for health and well-being and healing. Um, I think that is really critical and it's cool that even people outside of health justice movements are really thinking about that. Mm -hmm. 
what can I do? What can my listeners do? You know, I'm a white female, but what can I do to be a better ally for black health initiatives? Yeah. Um, so something that I think white folks could really do, um, to help advance black health justice issues is really looking both within, but also just more broadly at whiteness and how it operates to um, just oppress black life. And so um, I know there are um, folks that are looking at just unconscious bias training and cultural competency, but I think really looking at um, cultural humility and structural humility and better, instead of trying to learn um, all the nuances of blackness and other oppressed groups, um, if you don't have that lived experience, really examining um, uh, your role and the role of whiteness mm -hmm. societally at the macro level um, as um, and negatively impacting black health and then really being, um, uh, what are the terms? There, there are other terms that are ally now, like accomplice and all this other oh, stuff. Really? <laughs> I heard that, okay. um, yeah, it's more, again, just like working, um, uh, with us, with these mm -hmm. radical, like abolitionist movements and these other justice movements, um, uh, to really center at the margin, and then again, just really critique whiteness <laughs> mm -hmm. as a macro concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree completely. And I think it's just, you know, it's like Khadija was touching on before, resources are limited and finite, so there has to be uh, a concerted effort to redistribute resources in a more equitable way. Um, and so I think that all people, in a sense, like we need to think about our roles in this society, um, but white people in particular, you know, like a lot of the wealth that is concentrated um, in white communities is, you know, wealth that was uh, generated off of slavery. Like, like I said earlier, like we're still living in the legacy and the shadow of slavery. So like... Those are hard questions, you know, things that that myself and like Khadija, we might not necessarily have the answers to, but I think just at, at the very least, like being honest about those things and then working from that premise of like, okay, what can I do as an individual? And so I think, you know, it does really come down to just how we treat each other, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat um, people who are houseless, who are in our neighborhoods, um, you know, where we are investing our money um, and why um, those things are really important and to just do your best to redistribute those resources um, as an individual, but then also to really push for policies that um, work towards that as well. Um, you know, so with the election coming up and just all in, you know, local elections, all of those things like staying active and engaged um, as voters, I think is important for white people, um, you know, to to think about um, how their vote, um, you know, is going to affect how certain policies and, and people in office are going to affect 
other people, um, you know, that are not them, um, you know, what that looks like and what that does for their lives and their health. Well, I'm so grateful for you sharing your time with me today. Um, I've learned so much and just have loved talking with both of you. The last question I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Um, and feel free to tackle that, you know, individually or just one of you wants to answer however you want to take that one. Hmm. Sure. Yeah, I can start. So I think for me, um, making the health investment, I th it really starts with education. And um, if you're going to be invested, then you need to learn about it. Um, and, and trying to get good information. So really learning about uh, the structural issues that are at play in all of our lives um, and thinking through and the ways in which these things are interconnected. Um, so our environment, um, our policies, our relationships, um, that's all interconnected with our personal health and the health of people in our communities. And so being willing to think big, think about the bigger picture and to solve bigger problems. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, um, just investing in black people, black organizations, grassroots orgs. Um, there are so many black folks and other marginal folks before us that have spent decades working on justice issues. Um, and there are so many black and other marginalized folks after us in the generation, uh, Gen Z. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think the Gen Z is that Gen Y, Gen Z, um, uh, that are super plugged in to what's happening around the world and super um, courageous in their fight for justice. So I think just investing in all of those generations and manifestations of Black work. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that idea of think bigger, think beyond yourself. Um, because, yeah, I think the collective health of the country is so important and I think it's suffering. So I think it's really important to, you know, consider all of these things you've said and to just have an open mind and to continue to do our own research. And like you said, to look into ourselves and see our place and our role in everything. Um, so, yeah, I just really love everything you've shared. And I know that listeners are going to want to follow and find you on social media and the interwebs. So where, where can they do that? Yeah, you can find us at Black Health. So it's spelled B-L-K-H-L-T-H. Um, we are at Black Health everywhere. Um, we have a website, we have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook page, LinkedIn. So yeah, find us at Black Health. I was also just wondering, you know, in light of so many, so much pseudoscience being spread around right now. You're both in public health. What are some of your favorite public health resources? I yeah, BlackHealth.com <laughs> as well as one um, resource. Um, we also have resources on our website, so we have a resources page with a oh, bunch great. Of other great okay. resources too. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think just getting your information and resources from diverse sources mm -hmm. um, and just being wary of um, this information 
from folks that don't have the background or the expertise in this space um, that are just talking heads. So <laughs> I won't name names, but just I think being, being cognizant of. Yeah, two of my uh, favorites right now, uh, Dr. Uche Blackstock. Um, she's talking a lot about race and uh, coronavirus. Um, so I follow her on Twitter and I just get really great, you know, information from her. Um, articles she tweets, articles she writes, her own tweets. Um, also, Dr. Kamara Jones is someone that we, um, you know, we call back to a lot of her work. Mm. Um in our own work. So uh, Dr. Kamara Jones has a video on YouTube called The Gardener's Tale, which talks about um, racism and, and health. It like kind of breaks it down in a, in a really um, simple way to understand it, but she has lots of uh, published papers and other talks and things like she's done on that, that specific topic. So yeah, so those are two individuals, but yeah, definitely reputable sources, um, vetting your sources and uh, diverse voices. Um, even myself, you know, like I try, I'm a big Twitter person. So um, for me, I, I try to curate my Twitter feed to be a lot of different people who are part of communities that I'm not a part of. So um, I listen to a lot of disabled activists, um, a lot of indigenous activists, um, people who are part of the LGBTQI community. Um, all, all of these different uh, pockets. Um, and that's one great thing about the internet is that you can get all these different diverse voices. Um, so yeah, yeah, I definitely wouldn't just listen to one type of person uh, <laughs> online if, if I could help it. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Um, and yeah, I'll put links to all of the people you just mentioned, their Twitter accounts, and then also yours, of course, in the show notes so that people can have easy access uh, but I just want to thank you both so much for giving me your time today and for just sharing so much insight. And I look forward to staying connected. Yeah, we do too. Thank you for having us. We love talking about this. Well, that's all for today. Before the next episode drops, I'd love to chat with you one-on-one -on -one about the BS messages and methods currently holding you back. You deserve simple weight loss and sustainable wellness. So let's figure out how to make both happen. To book your free consultation, click through the link in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Health Investment Podcast. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.